What's up, everybody? Welcome to a draft week episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks for joining me. And with me once again, none other than our Sabres reporter at uh, at The Athletic, also a longtime Bills reporter. He knows his way around the football pretty well. Matthew Fairburn, he's, uh, he's back with us after a pretty in-depth and lengthy conversation and we didn't we didn't mean for that to happen Matthew uh last week for it to just be totally wide receiver heavy but you got to go with where the show takes you and it 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 uh definitely I think opened some eyes or uh, you know just like opened some possibilities as to what they could do in this draft but I did kind of want to step away from wide receiver just for a little bit of the show to begin here, because, you know, the Bills and Bean don't often serve up a, an, an immense curveball in the first round of the draft, but they also haven't gone completely by the book um, with, with all their first round picks. So I suppose if, let's say they get frozen out of wide receivers or that they just don't, uh, it doesn't happen for them where where they just don't they don't want to they want to wait to wide receiver until number 59 or something like that I suppose what the the bigger question is what makes the most sense for that first round pick in the grand scheme of things and to what they would actually do with uh with with this year's pick so I'll just leave it kind of open-ended there for you yeah as we talked about last week Brandon Bean is pretty adamant that they take the best player and that it's not always a need decision, but I think need factors into the calculus. And so I think that question that you pose becomes a question of what do you think is the next most important need for this team beyond, you know, probably wide receiver being very close to the top of that list, if not at the top. Brandon Bean mentioned defensive tackle as a future need, but let's face it, I don't think Brandon Bean would be forecasting, you know, his his plans or his, you know, immediate need or where his eyes were wandering in that type of setting. He's done enough of those, and he is among the savviest media general managers in football, I would say, and knowing what he's saying, understanding how it will be perceived. And he's, he's very sharp in that regard. So I don't think he's necessarily tipping his hand by mentioning defensive tackle. If anything, he might be trying to divert attention from something else when he says that. My thought, and it depends exactly on how they view their roster, but I think with those high picks, you're looking for the hard-to-find premium positions. And I think Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have mostly been that way as well. Cornerback. You know, defensive end has been a heavy emphasis in early rounds for them. They haven't gone too heavy on the offensive line early, and I think that is the spot that I would probably look at. As we mentioned last week, wide receiver – and offensive line are the two areas that are going to help Josh Allen the most. And while you're in this window, I think you want to be helping him as much as possible. And I think offensive tackle depends on how you view Spencer Brown, but they like it's also, him. <laughs> they, and they do. I mean, <laughs> that's, and, that's the biggest point of contention that I've had with offensive tackle um, really for the last couple of months, just because like they, they, they like routinely, um, stick up for him in press conference settings. So that's, if it were me, I'm with Spencer Brown. The problem with him too, is you can't draft. He's not really the body type where you could say draft an offensive tackle and kick Spencer Brown inside, right? He's too big, I think to play guard. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. what you would maybe have to do is find a, and it may not be a first round need, but maybe it's a, a, a day two where you find a, guy who's capable of playing both guard and tackle and so he can slot into your lineup early and if Spencer Brown doesn't pan out he can kick outside to tackle and have a long-term future at tackle they like those guys anyways they like 
positional flexibility along the offensive line, as do most teams, because it's not easy to find and it's not, you know, it always comes in handy throughout a season. There's going to be injuries on the offensive line without fail, it seems like. So having somebody who can move around is a definite value. And having insurance for if one of your guys does not work out, uh, Spencer Brown, then, you know, I think that would be appealing. Linebacker is going to be a topic of conversation as well. And so I'll ask you two things. One, is there an offensive lineman at that spot who's versatile enough to plug into the lineup right away and potentially long-term could replace Spencer Brown? Or two, is there a linebacker who is athletic enough to warrant that type of pick? And at 27, you don't have to be Tremaine Edmonds to warrant a first-round selection. That's where you start to bleed into day two. You're you're very close to a day two pick at that point. You know, the picks between 25 and 35 are all pretty similar in terms of positional value. So it's not crazy to take a linebacker there. But those would be my big two questions. If it's not wide receiver, are there prospects that warrant that? Because if not, then you need to pivot and kind of expand your thinking elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in terms of offensive tackle, it doesn't seem like there's crazy talent um, uh, that would be available at, at 27. Um, I know a guy that a lot of fans really took a shine to was Darnell Wright from Tennessee, but it really seems like that he's going to be in this um, in this bucket of three or four offensive line prospects that I think could be off the board before the 15th pick. And it, it, it's funny, like part of the, the preparation for draft week is you go and read your colleagues um, across, across the league. I, I've, I find a lot of value in, in reading um, just general draft related analysis slash um, slash mock draft scenarios from a lot of beat writers from, from across the country. And the one thing that stood out, because um, over at The Athletic, we uh, collectively, uh, every single team that has a, has a beat reporter, had, uh, had to do a, a, uh, a team-specific full-round mock draft. And the one thing that stood out was from picks 9 through 15 or so, most teams in that range were like, Oh, offensive tackle. I'm taking an offensive tackle here. So in my brain, I'm like, well, the odds that a guy like Darnell Wright is going to sneak out of the first 15 or even the first 20 is probably not great um, from that perspective. So then you go down a tier and do you reach on a guy like, I don't know, Matthew Bergeron, um, who's a Quebec City native, went to Syracuse, so so there's some local um familiarity there but it that even seems like it would just be a bit too much uh, of a reach and almost to the point where you're like would you just be better off waiting until later in the draft to to um associate some depth there so that that uh that's a tough part of uh the overall want of an offensive lineman and then coupled with the spencer brown factor it it could make it tough for them at linebacker, there are two guys that that uh, we've that I'm sure many people have uh, read a lot about. Those those two guys are Drew Sanders from Arkansas, Jack Campbell from Iowa, and they represent different things, really in the form of how the Bills might want them. And it's not as though like they're clean comparisons, but if you're if the Bills are looking for more of a Tremaine Edmonds type it's probably Sanders but the comp isn't clean he's not as good of a prospect and you know not as good of an athlete now Jack Campbell is more of the if you look at at what uh, the Bills and specifically Sean McDermott has valued throughout his years as a defensive play caller Campbell is more similar to the game style of a Luke Keekley, but he is not Luke Keekley. He's not anywhere close to Luke Keekley. Um, and he's probably 
probably like a, a second round talent. And the the thing that I don't love about these these comps, even though like okay, you can kind of see what what they might be thinking there, is Keekley was in his draft year, and you remember it as well as I do. He was like locked in top ten to I don't know thirteen draft pick. You knew somebody was going to take a linebacker early that year, and it happened to be the Panthers with Sean McDermott as the defensive coordinator. Tremaine Edmonds in his draft year, he was. Uh, going back and looking at a bunch of the mocks in 2018, or recently, he was consistently between 9 and 12 in mock drafts, and the Bills traded up to get him. So this is a different caliber of prospect. So I almost wonder if the juice is worth the squeeze at 27 for either of these guys. If they're both borderline first-rounders, and the only time we've seen... Um, Brandon Bean invest in a linebacker was for a guy that had that was like a falling value from from a top ten guy that they that they viewed in within their scheme. And then there there's this little side topic to the linebacker thing that you know I know everyone and I I am guilty of this and I I'm probably someone that has uh, that has you know helped. Uh, help this line of thinking a little bit is that Terrell Bernard was not good last year, but he was also their third round pick. And if they were to give up or if they were to draft a linebacker within the first two rounds, in essence, to replace Terrell Bernard, this would be the first time since Brandon Bean has become a GM that they would have significantly tried to replace one of their first three draft picks just one year removed of them getting drafted. So all that, you you bundle all that up and it's like, okay, I can see them taking a linebacker at 27 because you're probably going to get a second round talent at, at that 27 spot anyway. But is it linebacker? Like, is are there more holes in, in the linebacker discussion than we thought? Like, could, could they just try and figure it out with Terrell Bernard and and if it doesn't work in the summer try and sign a free agent or go with AJ Klein I, I could totally see them talking themselves into that so I don't know it 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 um it's tough with because it doesn't really feel like there's a there's a good answer here um as to what they would do if if they don't take a receiver at 27 and it just some something about linebacker has just felt a little hollow the past couple of weeks, and I think I finally put my finger on it with the with the not trying to actively replace one of their top draft picks after just a year. Yeah, I think that makes sense both from a value standpoint and from a roster building standpoint that you don't want to continue to pour premium resources into a spot before you've allowed maybe not a premium resource in a third round pick, but a pretty significant resource Mm -hmm. time to develop, right? Like, you know, you don't turn the page that quickly, but it, it also does not strike me as a position that is going to be make or break for the bill's chances of success Mm -hmm. in 2023. They can get by with what they have. They still have, an absolute stud in the middle, you know, or at linebacker, wherever you put them, you know, they don't really use three linebacker sets all that often anyways. But Matt Milano is fantastic. So you have him, and hopefully he can cover up the inexperience of another player. And they've been decent at developing linebacker talent uh, over the years. And, And can you find another player to compete with Bernard in the middle rounds? Yeah, I think you can. So if, you know, offensive line feels like it could potentially be a reach there. Mm -hmm. Linebacker (laughs) feels like maybe not the most pressing need. And linebacker does feel like a position that if you're going to take it early, it better be a really big need. It better be step into the lineup and play because it's just not one of those premium positions unless you're talking about an edge rusher. Edge rusher it would be hard for me to envision them going back to that well, considering how often they've done it 
That's not to say it wasn't still a bit of a problem down the stretch when Von Miller got hurt, but with Von Miller coming back at some point, uh, you know, ideally in the first half of, of the season, I think they can get by there as well. So there probably is a question to be raised about defensive tackle. Mm. Like I mentioned, Brandon Bean probably wasn't tipping his hand but the reason I bring it up is in most of what I've looked at from Dane Brugler and, and others that are plugged in, that seems like a pretty good spot on the board for a few defensive tackles to come off the board. And they are light there beyond this season. So that could be a consideration, depending on how they feel about Ed Oliver, which goes back to what we were saying last week about you will find out how they feel about their team and some of their players based on what they do. They'll always say, oh, this doesn't have anything to do with that, but it always does, and it should. You know, you have to be thinking about how everything fits together short and long term. So that isn't something that can be entirely ruled out. And the other position that is probably the only other well, it's one of the only other ones on the field, so it's, <laughs> we've hit on almost every position, but right. tight end. If there's the right value for a tight end, again, helping your quarterback and you know bringing in pieces to make his life easier, and if you really don't want him doing so much on his own, surrounding him with more and more pieces is one way to accomplish that. And there's a few good tight ends. Will one of them last until the bills maybe not so all of this process of elimination just keeps steering me back to receivers potentially (laughs) at that spot but it's not to say that that there aren't you know some some other options for them if they don't like the exact tier they're sitting in at receiver by the time they're they're on the clock to pick and brandon bean doesn't do this often but trading down would also seem to be you know, potentially worthwhile considering, you know, some, you see a lot of sharp drafting teams do that at the end of the first round, move back, you know, collect some extra picks, take some extra swings on day two, but it requires a level of patience, frankly, that Brandon Bean has not often demonstrated on draft weekend. You know, he get he's self-admitted that he likes to, uh, he gets a little antsy sometimes sitting up there. So I, I'm not really banking on them trading down, but it certainly should be a consideration. So a, a few things, I mean, with defensive line, you brought up edge rusher and the idea of it. it. It does feel a year premature for them to take one with a significant resource. But I will say that there was like a, a, a sneaky late, pre-draft visit and it was um, this guy by the name of will mcdonald the fourth out of iowa state uh super explosive kind of a raw pass rusher needs i think the book on him is that he needs a bit more of a plan but um there were times at the senior bowl where the guy was was unblockable uh in pass rushing drills and he visited the bills late in the process What's interesting about him, and this is kind of a, a side conversation to what we're talking about, what they could do at 27 if it's not receiver. Will McDonald is pretty tall, six foot four, has I think over 34 inch long arms, so fits exactly what they're looking for from both those perspectives. But he's only 239 pounds, and that has not been what they have looked for at all at edge rusher since Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott took took over. So I almost wonder, and he's not the only um, lighter pass rusher that they brought in for a 30 visit. They also brought in uh, Byron Young from Tennessee who weighed in at the combine at 250, but it, that he probably uh, beefed up <laughs> for, for the combine. And so it, it makes me wonder if they're reevaluating how they are scouting specifically 
the right defensive end position because they, they feel like they're in a good spot with Greg Rousseau and at, at left defensive end. They feel like he's got he's got um, a really good future there, still very young. And obviously they have Von Miller for the next couple of years. I mean, they have to keep him for two more years. Uh, they, they can't financially cut him without losing, uh, losing more cap space over the next two seasons. So they know that they have these two guys, but Von Miller is, is merely just a bandage on, on this whole thing. I do wonder if maybe they're like veering towards smaller and quicker, smaller and more explosive, as opposed to guys that are um, a little bit weightier with length, because they just haven't been getting the the type of pass rushing production that they wanted out of out of those guys like Epinesa, like Boogie Basham. Um, he didn't play much right defensive end, but like Trent Murphy, like it's this it's the same sort of player that they've continued to invest in, and it just hasn't worked. So maybe maybe they're they're changing up their their tune a little bit, and it, that's the only reason that I would think that maybe edge rusher is a sneaky number 27 pick just because premium position like you pointed out and this will mcdonald kid is seems like he could be pretty good with with some good coaching and especially if he learns from somebody like von miller but that would be an extreme luxury because they have four five guys on their roster right now that were on their roster at defensive end last year. They brought back Shaq Lawson on a one year. And it doesn't mean he's like locked in or anything, but I mean him combined with Boogie Basham, AJ Epinesa, Greg Rousseau, and Von Miller. I would probably think Von Miller probably starts the year on a on an injured list of some sort. That that would be my guess. So you could get away with with picking a defensive end, but you're really stretching your roster limits here if, if you're going into a year with six guys that you ideally would like to have on your active roster at defensive end. It just seems like a lot there. But, you know, never say never when it comes to edge rusher. And I, I, I do wonder if... I, I don't know that... It, it would be like the first removal of how they scouted a position since they really changed things up at wide receiver. And and I I just kind of found that little little tidbit interesting if if it's something to look into. You would have to think that to an extent Von Miller opened their eyes a little bit about you know what it takes to succeed off the edge in the NFL and what now Brandon Bean brought this up in his pre-draft news conference that, you know, there aren't a lot of Von Millers. Mm -hmm. You're talking about one of the best pass rushers of all time. And the way that he can really fill multiple spots for you and play every down, you know, play different styles of linebacker depending on the situation is a luxury and a rarity. But from a body type perspective, he's not, you know, one of one. And there are other pass rushers that aren't on his level, but that are of his makeup that succeed in the NFL. And so I do wonder if there's an element of that at play to what you're talking about, where they saw that in their scheme and wondered, maybe there's a way to get more of that mm -hmm. without ripping up the playbook and starting from scratch, but making a few adjustments and finding a player who can also bring some of that to the table. Because when it comes to Von Miller, he should be back, you know, he should be back to something close to his old self once he's back on the field. But they are tied up to him for two more seasons at least for a lot of money and I have to think that one of the worst parts about how the season ended for them was knowing that their big ticket acquisition wasn't on the field mm -hmm. and they would probably be fine if he didn't play a down until January 
You know, that the reason they got him is for those games. And so to not have him in those moments was probably tough to deal with, you know, from the, you know, Brandon Bean watching from above, knowing that the guy he got to solve some of their problems, you know, didn't make it there. Would taking some of the load off of him help in that regard? You know, I don't know. I, 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 from a sports science perspective, I'm certainly not qualified to sit here and say how much his workload contributed to tearing his ACL. But if they're trying to prolong his career and maximize the value that they get out of him, having some strong rotational options with him would help. And having guys that are similar would help you know, at least from a skill set perspective, and they don't really have that. So you're not going to find another Von Miller at number 27 in the first round, but you might find an intriguing athlete with some of the, some similar physical attributes that can now get in the room with Von Miller right now. A year from now, two years from now, you lose out on that. And there is value there. There is a a value that Von Miller brings that not a lot of veteran players do bring in that he really likes to teach and be hands-on and, and mentor younger players. So again, maybe not in the first round, who knows, but I think it's one to watch because, you know, it's a big part of making Von Miller that investment worthwhile is trying to extend his shelf life and I think limiting his workload a little bit because he has played a lot of football and has typically been a guy who plays all the time. And I think he needs to adjust that thinking a little bit as he gets into the the later stages of his career. And the Bills undeniably are probably sitting there thinking, we need this guy healthy for the playoffs. And having him come back too soon or putting too much on his plate too soon off of that injury. I don't know if it would run the risk of re-injuring the knee, but we have definitely seen it increase the risk of other injuries around the knee because you're trying to build up conditioning, get back in playing shape. And so, yeah, I think it's an interesting thought uh, in terms of, you know, a spot that they could look at somewhat early at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, it- I don't think they'll do it, but just the way that they're that they you 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 would be silly not to at least look at at the thirty visits that they come through with, and not like try to spot different trends or or things of that nature. The other thing with with uh, linebacker Matthew and, and I forgot to bring this up. Um, there were. Uh, our buddy Ryan Talbot of um, of Syracuse.com, um, he compiled all the different visits from from various reports, and in total there were there were twenty four. So it wasn't all thirty of them. Not not all thirty were were unveiled to to the to the masses. But the piece of the puzzle that was interesting to me. This whole offseason, we're thinking, okay, or since Tremaine Edmonds signed in Chicago, we're thinking, okay, well, linebackers got to be a consideration pretty early, right? Of those 24 visits, you know how many were linebackers? Goose egg. Zero. And it's not to say that the other six couldn't have all been linebackers, like, because that, that could happen, because it's, it, uh, it is a sizable chunk of, of that group. But you would have to think at least one kind of sneaks out, whether it's like a, a later round guy or something like that. They did bring in um, Marte Mapu from uh, Sacramento State, who is a safety prospect, but he's 220 pounds. So I would assume they probably look at him as a linebacker slash special teams guy. But of these prototypical linebackers, early round linebackers, there, there was nothing to show for there. No Jack Campbell, no Drew Sanders, no Trenton Simpson, no Diane Henley, um, no Nick Herbig, who some people project to middle linebacker. It's just, 
just uh, just just a little interesting there. So I'll, I'll just I'll just throw that in, in into the ether here. Um, but I did want to pick your brain about another potential that could uh, that could unveil itself if the board hits the right way, and it would help Josh Allen. And it's the topic that I'm sure every single NFL team is probably asking themselves about what they do if B. John Robinson gets to a certain point in the first round. Now, I think it's, I think he'll probably be long gone before the Bills even think about it, but this is for what a lot of people believe to be, a lot of smart draft analysts believe to be a top five to seven prospect period in this year's draft. And of course we know the stigma that comes along with drafting a running back in the first round and the the potential values that you're parting from by taking a running back. I don't know that it's that it's like a a black and white conversation where it's it has to be one way or the other because you can make the argument that taking a running back, get them on a, a four-year deal, and then you control their rights for the next three years if you want to, and you don't, you, you never have to uh, negotiate a long-term deal if they'll play under those those franchise tags. But I, I, I'm I'm wondering from you, at what point does it become okay? This guy could help better than any of these receivers to what what the Bills want to do offensively. Three down guy, helps helps your running game, uh helps your passing game. And well, yes, they just they just uh, spent a pick on James Cook. It's rare when a top 10 talent gets down into the 20s. So, where would where do you land on on that sort of thing? I think I'd be okay with it because of the value and mm-hmm. because of how far he would have to fall for the Bills to take him provided they don't move up but I think so they have sunk some draft picks into running back but two of those guys are gone yep already and James Cook I think looks like a a really solid pick so far you know from what we've seen I think he has some exciting potential but is he built necessarily to be the guy every single down? And does anybody really do that anymore anyways? It's not a glaring need, but it's enough of one that the val- I'd be okay with the value there. And you're in a window where I think you can afford to be making some luxury picks. There are more pressing issues. There are more valuable positions to be spending your first round pick on but for a running back to be worth it I always think the pass game has to be a big consideration and that's somewhere where Robinson feels like he could make an impact Mm -hmm. and so that's where I wouldn't have too much of an issue with it part of my hesitation would be are the bills the right team to get full value out of that player because the hesitation at least from Sean McDermott to trust young running backs has been real you know and we've gotten to see it three times over now because they've drafted running backs pretty early I think if you take a guy like that you have to be willing to put the ball in his hands you know 10 times a game at least Mm -hmm. Uh, and And so, and that's not a given under McDermott and the way he's handled rookies at that position. So that would be a question mark I would have. But I don't really question the player. And that late in the first round, kind of like I mentioned with linebacker, you're sitting there at a spot where there is, you know, a gray area in terms of value. You're at the end of the first round. There's a good chance that, 
the guy you're picking won't even have a first-round grade. There's not even 32 first-round grades Mm -hmm. for every team in every draft. So I think you're in a bit of a gray area where it's not so cut and dry. Don't ever take a running back in the first round because five picks later, you know, six picks later, you'd be in the second round and Mm -hmm. people wouldn't care so much. So there is a value in your offense to having multiple backs. And do the Bills have that right now? Multiple backs that you can really count on. People really like Damian Harris, but he's that's a one-year deal. And he gets hurt a lot, as you well know. <laughs> and he's not much of a factor in the passing game. Mm. So, you know, there's that element to it as well. He is... Is that a good enough one-two tandem? Yes, absolutely. It's why it's not, you know, a dire need that they go out and get a running back. But if the right one is available, I think you have to seriously consider it, especially if you're serious about taking the best player available and all that. I find it hard to imagine that they wouldn't have a first-round grade on him. And if he's sitting there, that's going to be tempting. It would also make the pick appealing to move i'm sure if if a team is trying to get up and take him and it might it's probably a moot point mm-hmm. in general because he'll likely be gone mm-hmm. but yeah is damian harris enough to steer them away no way i don't think so yeah. because just because he he really isn't that much of a factor in the passing game and They, the Patriots (coughs) drafted and sort of built game plans around that, I feel like. Ramondre Stevenson became that running back for them. And I think Damian Harris is fine. He's serviceable in the passing game. He just doesn't, has never struck me as a huge factor in that regard. And, And yeah, like you said, he does get banged up. So... Lots you know. of missed time for him. Um, so that's and the way he runs, you know, those injuries accumulate. You know, that's just he is a a guy that is not avoiding contact, and he is direct, and he's going to take some punishment. So you can count on a game or two that he's either going to be playing through injury or misses because of injury. So yeah, I don't think their running back situation is such a slam dunk that you can pass up a gift like that guy falling to, to 27, you know, but a player like, like Robinson is, is just not around at that point in the draft very often. Here's a fun stat. Uh, This comes from Scott Barrett, who is a a fantasy analyst. So digs deep into the, the, the statistical profiles of a lot of these rookie prospects, career yards per target average of the um, skill position players this year. Number one, Marvin Mims, 13.5 yards. Number two, Jackson Smith and Jigba, 12.7 yards. Number three, Quentin Johnston, 10.8 yards. Number four, Bijan Robinson at 10.8 yards per target as a running back. That is substantial when he ranks fourth in the class in yards per target. And that's not even his primary... Uh, his primary responsibility within an offense. So that is something. It speaks to the the three-down point and the pass game point. The other question that I had, um, because I know what I would do uh, in this sort of, for instance, is a micro move up the board. So let's say Bijan Robinson is on the clock at, or on the board at 25. The Giants are fairly certain that the Cowboys are going to take Bijan Robinson if he gets to 26. And the Giants probably don't want to have to deal with Bijan Robinson in their division for the foreseeable future. So in at that point, does it is it worth your while to do a micro move up? to 25 to get a lock it in slam dunk first round grade of a prospect even though he's a running back that could help your offense this year while also 
you know, maybe reducing your fourth round pick to a sixth round or to a seventh round pick or something like that. It, it's going to cost something. Or maybe it's a, a future pick or something along those lines. Is that a micro move worth it to go get him? Or is it, no, just just stay and pick and and figure it out. Only only take him if he gets to 27. I don't know if I if I would be an advocate for trading up. I think so when I think about running back in the Bills, a big part of what I think about is that they need to get better at finding guys later. And they haven't been super great at that. And you think about the teams that are winning and that are, you know, they're the Chiefs have been good at identifying guys later. And when they did take a swing in the first round, they sort of missed on on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So trading another asset that could probably be used to pick a running back in the fourth round or whatever, you know. But look, if they walked away from the first round with Bijan Robinson and they were down a mid-round pick and that was it I don't think too many people are going to be upset you know I think that that jersey is going to be flying off the shelves and I think he would be the type of guy who could impact impact games immediately do they need you know they veered away from that a little bit in the first round where they haven't gotten instant impact from guys but where they are in terms of building their team, I would think that is as important as ever, finding somebody who can impact your team as quickly as possible. So would I be thrilled about the the idea of giving up more resources, you know, to get a running back? Because then you're talking, about, you know, I probably wouldn't because you're talking about a first rounder this year, a second rounder last year, third rounders in 2019 and 2020 and then a fourth rounder this year that's five picks in the top four rounds on running back since 2019 if you pull off a deal like that probably not the best use of resources but i think brandon bean does not necessarily live in a world where he's worried too much about a little value here or a little value there. He is definitely the personality type and the his philosophy steers him towards players that he has conviction on. And so that's where would I do that? I don't know, but he he definitely has that tendency. And so I would not sit here and say there's no way that he would move up a couple spots. He's absolutely prone to do that it depends on how they feel about about the player and their need at the position i'm sure they feel great about the player it's hard to imagine anybody watching Bijan robinson and not coming away feeling pretty great about the player but how he would fit into their the picture that they have you know would be the big question mm-hmm. yep it's uh, one of those conversations probably not going to be needed, but it's always right to be prepared. Okay, we went well into what they could do outside of receiver. And, you know, just uh, I know we didn't mention names at defensive tackle, but throwing a couple out there, uh, Mozzie Smith from Michigan would be the one that I think would make the most sense for them um, if they were to were to pick a defensive tackle at 27. So, you know, that's that's a name to maybe keep in mind here. And then, you know, the Drew Sanders, Jack Campbell stuff at linebacker, if, if that's where they go. So let's go back to wide receiver, because I think this is where both of us feel like this thing is headed with with that 27th pick. And it really boils down to what type of receiver that they that they could want in this offense because they as we as we pointed out last episode they have a 1 in Diggs they have a 2 that they like in Davis albeit only signed for the next year they have someone that they they described as a 4 in Deontay Hardy 
and then you got uh, then you have Khalil Shakir and Trent Sherfield, whatever to make with them, probably depth for 2023. So the thing that's missing here is a three. So for you, what what kind of type are you looking for most? It, or what type of receiver do you think would benefit them the most with that first pick at 27 if, if they do indeed go to receiver? I don't know if it's a true slot receiver, but I think it's somebody with slot receiver capability, somebody with... I think about Stefan Diggs and trying to find a type as close to that as possible because... If you put Stefan Diggs in the slot, you know, you wouldn't think twice about it. Uh, you know, if obviously he is, he's their number one, so he plays on the outside. But from a body type and a, a skill perspective, he could play in the slot if, if you needed him to. And occasionally they move him around. So I think about that type of receiver, somebody who has the ability to move inside and outside. Because like we talked about last week, the big skill that I think matters is being able to separate quickly. I think that's the most important skill in the NFL right now. And bigger receivers have their place. You know, that you you better be really good at contested catches if you're not a super quick separator. And we've seen some of those, but even some of the best physical receivers are much better separators than than you would think, you know, and Think of like an A.J. Brown, you know, he, he's terrific at getting separation, even though he's also awesome at, at the catch point. Diggs is somewhat that way, too. He's definitely way more of a separator and and way more of a, a quick receiver than he is a physical receiver, but he is pretty strong at the catch point. But that's what I, I'm looking for, a guy that can fill multiple spots and move around and do so early like you don't want a guy I don't think that needs his hand held early on in his career I don't think you at that position I just don't think you want to be dealing with a steep learning curve and I don't think you have to be if you're hands-on about coaching the position and scheming your offense around the talent that you have so that's sort of the the archetype I have in my head is that it doesn't need to be one body type or the other, but I think the skill set to move inside outside should be a big deal because if you have injuries or if you have long-term questions about how Gabe Davis fits into the, the roster, you'd like a guy that could move out there if you need him to. So that's sort of where where my thinking is not a true slot receiver, but, but somebody that can, can move around a bit. Yeah. I I'm, I'm with you on, on that. And that really spits out like to me, four different guys that, that could fit into that mold. But I also think there's an intriguing fifth name to consider for as early as, as the 27th pick. Um, and the, the three guys that, that I think are, a cut above the rest would probably be Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio state. And he's, I think he can play on the outside, but also there's, uh, he's primarily a slot receiver. And that would, um, that would definitely scratch the itch that they need at, uh, that they have at, at receiver right now, because they don't have a, a locked in slot receiver at the moment, but don't really think that he's going to be available by the time they're on the clock or be, be willing enough to move up or like one of those micro moves that I'm talking about, like up to 23 or 24, something along those lines. So he's, he's someone that stands out. The other two that I really like for them are Zay flowers from Boston college and Jordan Addison, who both have experience playing both slot and, uh, and on the perimeter. I think those two would fit in swimmingly. Um, the trouble is you might have to make a little bit of a move up to get one of those guys. And and, and I'm fairly convinced that Zay Flowers is going to be either the second or third receiver off the board, but um, it, the odds that he gets to 27 I don't think are great. Addison, I think, has a better chance of it happening. Um, but but those are two guys that, if, if it were me, I, I feel like the or 
projecting what I think the Bills would covet, I think those those two guys would be something that they would really gear themselves toward. The other two guys have a little bit more of a, of a question mark to them. Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee it comes from the same sort of offense as Gabe Davis. Uh, actually, the exact same offense because Gabe Davis played under Josh Heupel at UCF. Josh Heupel now at Tennessee. Um, different roles because Jalen Hyatt played mostly in the slot there, but uh, so... Uh, but at least the Bills have an idea of how to project from that offense into their offense. And Hyatt is speed on the field, can play him at slot, but not really a typical slot receiver, so it's not a perfect fit. So that's why I um, I struggle with it just a little bit, but you also get that deep down the field element that, that he gets. And then the other guy that I think would be a great fit and someone that, they, the type of skill set they they have added to their offense in the past is Josh Downs from North Carolina. The question here is because he seems to be a slot receiver only, and that's that's his major lean. Um, very uh, smaller guy, five nine in the one seventies, and uh, he mostly played at slot receiver, but he's very good at knowing how to work defenders and everything along those lines. The big discussion point here with Josh Downs is are they comfortable with taking a slot receiver only at 27? And because at least with Jackson Smith and Jigba, he's got the size that you can play him out in the perimeter at sometimes. Or is that too precious of a resource to uh, to utilize on a slot receiver uh, within their scheme? Granted that they play 11 personnel a bunch. And it, it begs the question, like, okay, do uh, do the does the team would the team be better off trying to trade down and then take him there? But then you run the risk of losing the player entirely. So it really boils down to: do they want to make a micro move up for one of Flowers or uh, Flowers or Addison? Do they feel comfortable with Hyatt and the offense that he comes from and him not being a perfect fit as a slot receiver and taking him at 27? Or do they take downs at 27 despite being a slot receiver only or chance it by moving down a little bit to take him? So that's really, I think, where um, where this whole thing is headed, at least in my brain. The tricky part about a slot receiver only I think a, a slot receiver is valuable. I, I think in this offense, we have seen over the last handful of years just how valuable having that piece is. It has helped Josh Allen quite a bit. What I wonder about is the ability to transition into that role right away. Because at least under Brian Dable, and, you know, I'm not as closely familiar with, you know, the offense under Ken Dorsey. It's very as similar. I was, but it's it's close. Yeah. It's pretty close. But a big part of that was Cole Beasley's ability to adjust his routes, read coverage and adjust based on, you know, what was happening. Cole Beasley had a certain ownership of the offense that helped him thrive and helped Josh Allen trust him and really you know helped unlock a lot in the offense that's a lot to expect of a rookie slot receiver to have that type of ownership so it would take a certain level of buy-in from the coaching staff and it would take definite conviction on not just the the player that you're getting but the type of football mind that you're getting at that spot because Developing trust and timing and all of that will not be easy for a rookie. It can be done, though. I don't think, you know, same as we were talking about with McDermott and his hesitancy to trust rookie running backs. You have to, at some point, have a level of conviction in the player and in the people you have around the player to let them go out there and figure it out. So... I think that would be the number one consideration or, or question I would have if you're taking a slot guy only at 27. But 
That is a really important spot in their offense. And it has been a shaky spot for a few years because mm-hmm. Cole Beasley started to decline. They, ended they even up tried him. to bring Cole back. They even tried to bring him <laughs> back, which I think signals just how important he and that position were to their offense. So I think if you're taking a slot receiver, you want a guy that you feel like this guy is going to be it for a while. Mm-hmm. Bring some stability to that spot and bring a little bit of what you had in the offense before because it just seemed like such a resource. That's where Bijan Robinson, I think, also that part of the value conversation is important, that having that quick passing game option helps this offense so much. It helps Josh Allen so much. It doesn't have to come in the way of a slot receiver who does exactly what Cole Beasley did. There are other ways to get that type of production. Running back is one of them, but that's the number one thing that pops into my head with slot receivers, just knowing how complicated that position can be compared to even outside receiver at some times. You know, it's, mm-hmm. r- rookie receivers can make an impact. They just need, you know, it need it takes takes everybody to to make it work. So, and the the one thing that that kind of went into my brain there is. Downs, if you are looking for a a guy that is pretty similar to how um, to how Cole Beasley operated, not exactly the same. Downs is pretty similar there. I mean the the separation skills, the quick feet, how he sets up defenders, um, even how he uh, some of the nuance of, of his route running is is kind of similar to what Cole Beasley did I also think there's a little um, the way that he analyzes the defender and and uses his footwork it's a little bit out of the ordinary kind of reminiscent to me of of Stevie Johnson the way he ran his routes right at the beginning uh, not a perfect comp obviously because Stevie's more of a perimeter guy but uh, but there's there's something to that and this is the type of player that has succeeded in the Bills offense before that they know succeeds in the Bills offense and someone that they have actively tried to to get so so yeah I I think he would be a fascinating fit Um, it's just all about cost at 27 and you know, value and everything along those lines. If if they're comfortable with it, I, I think it would be a fine pick and, and one that they that would impact them as early as this year. But I guess I'll I'll um, just ask you point blank of all of the scenarios that that I laid out. Either trade up a little bit for Addison or Flowers, stay put, take Hyatt, stay put, take Downs. Or knowing their knowing what they are and, and who they might be, or moving down and playing the game a little bit to take Josh Downs. What do you think is is probably the play here for, for Brandon Bean and company? Well, the play for Brandon Bean might be different than the play that we think they should make. Uh, as we True. know, you know, he gets a little gets a little enamored and, and likes to move up. Mm-hmm. Addison, I think, you know, his flexibility is appealing. And so if they could move up a few spots and secure him, that strikes me as a a pretty appealing option. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, I feel like moving down, you're still in a good sweet spot to get one of these guys without moving down too far, of course. But I think you're still in a pretty good spot to get one and maybe a couple on day two, depending on how, you know, how many picks you're able to get. So the flexibility on day two would be nice to have to package picks and move up to move around the board and, and be in control of things a little bit more than, than they are with their current picks. But Addison appeals to me because of, because of how he can play both and he could long-term replace Gabe Davis if needed. 
uh, if that situation doesn't shake out in Buffalo's favor, either with him developing into what they hope or uh, him sticking around or both, you know. So, and, you know, I think from a, I think you do have, you know, so I brought up the idea of having the right type of, of football mind to handle playing in the slot in this offense right away. And I think Zay Flowers is that guy in some ways. Mm-hmm. I just think there that you also need to guard against what I I will term the the Zay Jones paradox, right? Of a guy <laughs> that is, you know, he played all six wide receiver positions at East Carolina and he, you know, probably invented a couple of wide receiver positions the way they talked about him down there. You know, he could play everything and move all over the field. But as it, when it's come to the NFL, he hasn't been exceptional at any one of those spots, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he's a, a terrific, you know, football mind, but has probably lacking in, in some of the other skills needed to be a true impact player. He's carved out a decent NFL career, but certainly not the type of one the Bills were hoping for when they took him in the second round. So I think you have to, I'm not just saying that because Zay Flowers happens to share his name, but Mm -hmm. think about that element too. You know, are you getting a guy who is, you know, has a limited ceiling, you know, and missing out on a talent because you're maybe afraid of a gap in, you know, football IQ or readiness when you should have the, you know, mindset of being able to develop and bring that out in a player or scheme around. So there's that element too. But Zay Flowers, I do like, and I do think he could he could be that that type of player for them right away who can step into the slot and, and play pretty well. So mm-hmm. if it's a matter of being able to stay put and get him, move up a little bit and get Addison, or maybe move down mm-hmm. if, you know, or go down the list of all the other scenarios we outlined at other positions and deal with wide receiver later. But um, they have options there. And I know it's a it's a, a popular position for fans that, that want to see that, and I think they're, they're right to want to see it. You know, a lot of times you – Every year, fans are going to want the fun positions, the receivers, mm-hmm. the running backs, the guys that, that you gravitate to when you're watching college football on Saturdays. But this also feels like a year where it is it is the right instinct to have, I think, mm-hmm. uh, as, as an observer of the draft and as somebody, you know, if you're a fan of the Bills and, you know, you're – you're hoping that they take a receiver. I, I think you're you're justified, uh, given both the talent in the draft and where the Bills stand right now. Uh, you know, with their offense. Yep, and I I agree wholeheartedly. I have, um, you know, I mean, we both think a lot about what what they could do, and after analyzing all of it, I just keep coming back to wide receivers. So if I had to guess, I'm I'm gonna put myself in a corner right you do here. have to guess actually if i right. had to guess you do i know i know <laughs> i i think one of zay flowers jordan addison or josh downs will be a buffalo bill by the time we talk next and it just kind of i don't know maybe jalen I, I just don't feel as comfortable with jalen hyatt and and how he projects into the role that they would need him to play as as those other three guys so i'll say one of flowers addison either either a slight move up for flowers slight move up for addison or stay put at 27 or downs at 27 or slight move down from 27 for for josh downs that's that's where i'm ultimately going to land here on uh on this 2023 nfl draft so we'll see We'll, we'll see what happens all right, Matthew Fairburn, I think this was a good base for everyone to kind of get themselves prepared for 
the NFL draft from a Bills perspective. And I, I think he was always. So it should be fun. Enjoy it for watching from uh, from the sidelines. That's that's going to be pretty great. I, I used to love watching the draft as uh, growing up before. Well, I mean, I still I still enjoy um, I still enjoy the uh, watching the whole specter of it, but it, it's still good. Yeah, it will be nice to uh, be able to go to bed at the conclusion of of the first round rather than clocking in essentially when the pick is made, um, which is how it works on on the other side of things is leads to certainly Thursday and Friday, some, some late nights that, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm still recovering from the, the hockey season full of nights. So it'll be nice to turn the TV off when the pick is made and (laughs) go off into a deep slumber and not need to do a day two mock draft. That, uh, (laughs) certainly will be good. I have made it now to the finish line with no mock draft. Which, going into the NFL draft, not having done a mock draft, you know, it kind of feels like, you know, you're walking in, you know, walking in a bit naked uh, with no mock draft. But who knows? There's still 48 hours plus for me to get the itch and find a simulator and start playing around. But I don't, you might don't anticipate it. I don't anticipate it. You might do it. Anyway, it'll be good. All right, Matthew Fairburn, thank you as always. And uh, thanks to you all for another fun buildup to the NFL draft, always one of the, the fun times of the year. And the next time you'll hear from me will be after the Bills make their first pick, or maybe on, on Thursday of the 2023 NFL draft. So for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscali. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. See you then. Thank you.